Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Pat Quinn, and we're going to explore some really powerful persuasion and communication magic. If you want to move people from being passive to active actors in any kind of communication medium, meaning you want your communication to convert, then you are absolutely going to love and possibly even listen to more than once today's podcast episode. By the way, I am Stelzner on Instagram, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow our show so you do not miss any of our future content. I've got some great guests coming your way. I've got a question for you. Did your business transition to e-commerce sales during the pandemic? Are you looking for an easier way to scale your e-commerce sales? If so, you should explore the Wix e-commerce platform. It's an omni-channel solution that manages all of your offline and online customer transactions in a single powerful dashboard. Now all your customer data, sales inventory, delivery and fulfillment, and marketing are powered by a single platform, the Wix e-commerce platform. From a single dashboard, you can manage your CRM, email marketing, SMS marketing, live chat, automation, all customer communications, and more. Plus, Facebook ads by Wix leverages artificial intelligence to learn about your audience and then run and optimize your Instagram and Facebook ads for you. With this one feature alone, Wix e-commerce customers average a 1,000% return on ad spend and 40% have doubled their sales. Join more than 700,000 active Wix e-commerce stores. Here's your next step. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce and get started creating your store. Again, Wix.com slash e-commerce. You support this podcast by checking out our sponsors. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, 
our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Pat Quinn. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Pat Quinn. If you don't know who Pat is, he's a speaking coach and communication expert. He's the chief product officer at Advance Your Reach, a company that helps businesses grow their impact and their revenue. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So today, Pat and I are going to explore a communication framework that'll help you move people to action. Pat, before we go there, I would love to hear your backstory. Like, how in the world did you get into marketing? Start wherever you want to start. Well, by now, most people know me as a presentation coach, but I actually didn't get my start as a professional speaker. I got my start as a professional magician and worked in the field of magic for 10 years. After being a magician for 10 years or so, I decided I needed to get a real job. And I became a public school teacher and taught high school math for 12 years. Wow! During that time, I picked up an advanced degree in how adults learn. And so I really bring two things to the table when I'm helping improve communication. The first is a little bit of stagecraft from my years of doing magic. But the second is a real understanding of how adults learn, how your audience hears, learns, and remembers anything that you communicate to them. And so I'm hyper-focused on your audience because I want the audience to move forward with you, to take the next step with you. And I've been fortunate over the last 10 years to work with some of the greatest communicators in the world, from Damon John, from Shark Tank, Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi on their KBB project, Grant Cardone, Michael Hyatt, household names that everyone's heard of. But most of the people that I work with are not professional speakers. Most of the people that I work with wouldn't even call themselves speakers. Most of the people that I work with are business owners who want to get more clients, have a greater impact, increase their revenue. And there are simple communication strategies that can help you achieve all three of those goals, whether you ever step up on a stage or not. Okay, I've got a couple of questions about the magic side of things. Did you grow up as a kid <laughs> wanting to be a magician? Was that kind of a childhood thing? That was a childhood thing, except I didn't stop when most kids stop. So when you say you were a professional magician, what does that mean? Because very few people in my audience probably know what that actually entails. Like, tell us just a little bit more. I'm curious. Sometimes when you hear professional magician, you think David Copperfield or Chris Angel from Vegas. Right. But 99% of magicians don't work in Vegas. 99% of working magicians are in small towns and, and cities all over the world making their living doing birthday parties, doing corporate shows, doing church events. So I was a children's magician, so I specialized in birthday parties and church events. Oh, cool. And it's a tough way to make a living, especially during a pandemic, but it was a fun way to make a living as well. So after that, when you transitioned into teaching, did you say you were teaching adults? No, I taught high school math. Oh, wow. Okay. Was there a correlation between math and magic? I'm just curious. There is a correlation between magic and teaching and all communication to persuade people. 
and that is controlling the attention and controlling the what, what I'll call the second conversation. I'll I'll teach you what that is in just a little bit. Huh. Fascinating. So at what point did you transition? How many years has it been? I lost track, but after you left the teaching profession and you kind of got into the, I guess, coaching profession, public speaking profession, how many years have you been doing that? 20 years. 20 years. Wow. Okay. And what are you doing today specifically? You're not doing magic anymore, but it sounds like you're still <laughs> teaching people, right? I am. I'm the chief product officer for Advance Your Reach. And Advance Your Reach is a company that helps people get their message out to the world and increase their number of clients, increase their revenue. But most importantly, what we're passionate about at Advance Your Reach is increasing your impact. We believe that the world we live in right now, the messages of fear, the messages of division, and the messages of anger are winning. They're controlling the microphones. They're controlling the platforms. Mm. One of our goals at Advance Your Reach is to help people with positive messages, messages of unity, messages of hope. We want those messages to be as good at creating big platforms as the negative messages. Because right now, honestly, I think we're losing. Uh, the positive messages are losing right now. And regardless of where you go, from radio to television to social media, the people with the negative divisive messages seem to be be holding up a top spot and the people with the positive messages can't seem to figure out how to break through. And we're passionate about helping people with positive messages have the impact that they could be having to change the world. Why do you think the negative messages seem to get so much attention? I think sometimes they have better techniques. The things that I talk about today that aren't, they aren't my opinion. They're research proven. Research from Robert Cialdini and Daniel Pink, Scott Adams, Neil Strauss, Stephen Martin, Joseph Marx has a Nobel Prize winning economics paper of how people make decisions of what to follow and what not to follow. Mm. I think the people with the negative messages are doing a better job. And that's why one of our goals is to just really help train, educate, and really create for the positive people and the people with positive messages, communication that works, communication that persuades, communication that converts. Love it. So, you know, this is called the Social Media Marketing Podcast and many of the people listening, whether they're business owners or marketers, their job is to try to persuade people to take an action, right? That's really the job of marketers to move people to action. So talk to us a little bit more about why this is so important because, I think many of us know how to communicate. We know how to inform, but maybe we don't know how to persuade. Why is it so darn important? I mean, you've already alluded to in the public circles, if you will, how the negative can outshine the positive. But what are some other reasons why persuasion really matters, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer is because that's where the real transformation, that's where the real life change takes place. Zig Ziglar said it pretty simply. I can influence someone's life a little bit in 45 minutes, but the real life change happens when they buy my cassettes and my programs. Well, we don't have cassette tapes anymore, but what he was saying was in that initial communication, you can attract attention and you can influence them a little bit. But the real transformation, the real life change, the real positive change happens when they go deeper with you, when they join, when they follow, when they buy, when they continue to be engaged with you. I think one of the things that happens when people are communicating, whether they do it every day or you know, in any role that they have, one of the things that happens is they get feedback that they're doing a great job, but they aren't achieving their goal. I work with speakers all the time who are like, oh, I'm really good at this because the audience claps, the audience laughs, 
Sometimes the audience cries like they want them to. And as they walk out of the room, the audience says, great job, great job, great job. And at the end of that, I ask, well, how many people bought? And they said, well, nobody. I said, well, then you didn't have the impact you could have had. And so there's a big difference between communication and communication that converts. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are communicating and getting feedback that they're taking as positive feedback, but their communication isn't converting. And because of that, they're not having nearly the impact that they could be having on this world or even on their audience. I think you've hit on some really, really good points here because one is really entertaining, right? It sounds like if you're getting applauses and you're getting pats on the back, whether they be in presence or whether they be in the present of an audience or whether they be the thumbs up on a Facebook post or a comment, you know, that's a passive action, right? That's not necessarily meaning anyone is actually going to do anything with what you just communicated to them. But an, a more active action, like you said, is when someone actually purchases Zig Ziglar's tapes back in the olden days, right? Meaning they're going to start listening and they're going to start taking the desired action to be able to have the desired outcome that they want. And I love the word impact that you mentioned there. You know, when I think of impact, I think of the physical impact, right? Like something happens when you get impacted, right? Like there's energy transfer that happens. And I think that we're in a world where we just talk, 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 and we just look at the metrics and we look at the numbers, but we don't necessarily look at the output. And I love what you're talking about because it seems as if what you're saying is, hey, if they didn't take the desired action, then something went wrong. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. And I think sometimes people just come in with the wrong goal. I mean, people come to me all the time when they find out I help speakers and I help communication and they say, hey, I, I want to make people laugh. Or some people after, you know, they attend a really good presentation, like I want to be able to make people cry just like that speaker did. And, and my answer is that's not your goal. You know, criers are not buyers. <laughs> Sometimes in the course of telling a story, people will feel the emotion with you. That's great. But the goal isn't to make an audience cry or to make an audience laugh. The goal isn't even to make them clap. The goal is to make them go deeper with you. The goal is to make them sign up for the next engagement, whatever that next engagement is for you. I mean, if you're a nonprofit, that next engagement might be to donate or just to visit. If you're a for-profit business, it might be to buy, schedule a free appointment, have a consultation, take my assessment. I mean, you get to pick the next engagement, but that's the only measuring stick. That's how you should measure your success, not based on all these other positive, feel-good things that are happening. Earlier when I was asking you about magic, you said there was some sort of through line and I should ask you again, and I don't know if this is the point to ask you, but what is the connection? What did you learn from magic that might get to this point of the story or does that come later? Well, two things the magician does, and that's why you should always study magicians if you want to be a great communicator. They control the attention of the audience in a way that other people simply don't or don't think about. And the second thing that they do is control the second conversation. So this is a little complicated. We're going to get a little heady here on you. So you just cut me off if I'm deep in the weeds. No, okay, let's go. <laughs> when you're listening to another human being talk, it only uses about 25% of your brain. That's why we can listen to podcasts at, at 1.5 and audiobooks at 2.0, because it doesn't use your whole brain to listen to another human being talk. So if you're listening to me talk right now, it's using about 25% of your brain, which uses leaves the other 75% of your brain free to have what we call the second conversation. When you're listening to any speaker speak, 
there's always a second conversation going. And, and when you're at an event, like I was just at a, an event over the weekend, a live event, when I'm speaking, if I don't control the second conversation, the second conversation will sound something like, huh, I wonder how long this guy's going to talk for. Oh, I'm getting kind of hungry. I should have had a bigger breakfast. Oh, I should check my phone. No, that'd be rude to check my phone. Yeah, but I could do it between my legs. Nobody will see it there. <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't do it right now. Oh, it just vibrated. And it just wanders from the grocery store to what you talked about last night to where you're going to go have drinks tonight. Like the second, if you let it wander, it will just wander. Or you could control the second conversation. You could introduce things into your speech patterns. You could introduce things into your stories that would cause the audience to change their second conversation completely, and you will control that second conversation during the entire time that they're listening to you speak. And a magician does this too. A magician will mention things as they're bringing someone up on stage, or will mention things as they're showing you a box that is supposedly empty. That'll completely change your second conversation and take it exactly where the magician wants you to take it. And in that regard, it's similar to somebody who's communicating as well. That's absolutely fascinating. So what I'm hearing you say is the magician, every word that comes out of the lips of the magician is intentional. And <laughs> I mean, you know, and these little things that might appear strange are actually there to kind of get your brain completely focused on what they're doing. So you don't see what they're really doing is what I'm guessing, right? Or you don't have time to think about what you naturally would think about because you're thinking about what he just said. The word that I love that you just used, that's why I chuckled, was intention. You know, there's a lot of people who are very successful at communicating and it's kind of happening accidentally. I think everything that you do as a communicator should be intentional. I coach speakers who move around on stage constantly. They're like a tiger at the zoo, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and I coach other speakers who pretty much stand still like a statue. You know, neither one is right. There's, there's more than one right way to do this. But what I want you to do when people say, well, how should you move on stage? I, my answer is move with intention. Don't just wander. When you want to move, move for a reason. I move because I'm switching from topic one to topic two. So I move to help the audience move with me. I move when time is passing. I can move from right to left as time is passing. So it looks left to right for the audience. And that way they will see that time is passing as I move along the timeline. But I'm moving with intention. That's what I'm doing. And so everything that you do from your hand motions to your pauses do it with intention. There, there's certainly more than one right way to do this, but the things that you do, do them with intention. That explains all these crazy hand motions that magicians do sometimes, right? <laughs> of course it does. They're pulling up their sleeves and you think they're showing you that their sleeves are empty, but they're really dropping things behind the table and putting things in the crook of their elbow. And they're showing you both sides of their hands and you think they're doing that. So they, you see that their hands are completely empty, but they're really doing that because it gives them an opportunity to do something else. So uh, yes, <laughs> magicians are very intentional in their movements and their speech patterns. And it's really to control your attention and to control the second conversation. Got it. And we, as communicators in any medium, right, podcasts, videos, live, we can employ same techniques to help communicate in a way that converts, right? We can implement them all, including in our written communication. We can do it in our newsletters. We can do it in our social media posts. We can do it in the copy of our website. It doesn't just apply to spoken presentations. It certainly applies there but it also applies to every communication that you do from the phone to the largest presentation and on the largest stage. At this point, everyone is locked in and ready to hear how. <laughs> so how do we go about communicating in a way that converts? I would love to hear your methodology. 
Well, I believe that all great communication happens in four parts. If you've got five minutes in front of somebody at a networking event or a 45-minute keynote, you should think about communicating in four parts. If you're on the phone with one person or at Starbucks with one person or in front of 100 people, four parts. And if you're online or in the room with somebody, four parts. And so a lot of people, when they have a chance to communicate, dive right into their content. And they're the mistaken impression that the smartest person in the room will have the biggest impact in the room. The smartest person in the room rarely has the largest impact in the room. It's the person who recognizes that there's something you need to do before you get to the content that will matter. Other people dive right into what they do and what they're selling. And I have a program or I have a system or I have seven pillars. Don't go for the sale right away either. The person who goes for the sale early rarely has the largest impact. So who has the largest impact? The first thing you should do in every communication is we call it the opening heart story in a presentation. But the more important thing is what the purpose of it is. And the purpose of it is to connect. The person who connects before they teach or an end connects before they sell is going to have the greatest impact. Robert Cialdini calls this pacing before leading. Hmm. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to lead their audience to the right solution, lead their audience to a better life. But you will not have any followers to your leading if you don't pace first. What is pacing? Pacing is walking alongside someone, throwing your arm around them and saying, I get it. Pacing is walking alongside someone saying, I've been in your shoes. This kind of sucks, doesn't it? And a lot of people try to rush through that describing the pain or commiserating, whatever you want to call that thing that you do in the beginning that lets people know that you understand where they are. And part of it's a language game. A great presentation starts in the language of the consumer, not the language of the expert. And so if you are, you know, if you have a podcast and, and you're and you're deep into mindset and limiting beliefs, your ideal audience doesn't know those words. A person with a mindset problem doesn't know they have a mindset problem. And a person with limiting beliefs doesn't know they have limiting beliefs. Right. You have to start in the language of the consumer. And so part of it is a language game. Part of it is good storytelling. But here's the part that I really want to impress upon everybody. A lot of people, when they introduce themselves to others, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's in a social media post, or whether it's, it's on stage in the middle of a keynote, at the start of a pre keynote presentation, a lot of people take the opportunity when they introduce themselves to others to separate themselves from other people. Yes, I have the largest one of these ever, or I survived the rarest form of this disease, or I've done more of this than anyone else in the world. And you have to recognize that the goal of that opening sequence is not to separate yourself from everyone else. The goal is to connect with other people. Look, I coach three different astronauts. I coach people who've been in space. I coach six different Olympians, three of which have won medals. And I coach a guy who's been to the top of Mount Everest, not the base camp, the top. When he tells that story at the start of a presentation, how many other people who are listening can relate to that? Nobody. Right. But I coach another person who tells a story early in his presentation about arguing with his spouse about whether the toilet paper should come out over the top of the roll or under the bottom of the roll. And when he tells that story, how many people in the room can relate with him? Would that be Steve Spangler by chance? <laughs> Every, I don't know. Oh, no, okay. it's not that person. Okay. Every single person in the room can relate to that. Yeah. You have to stop judging our opening stories based on how many people come up to us afterwards and say, wow, that was an amazing story. 
how you should judge your opening story is how many people come up to you afterwards and say that same thing happened to me. Hmm. Because from a conversion standpoint, that's going to be your best story. If you have a one in a million story, you're going to help about one in a million people. But if you have a one in every household story, you're going to help a lot of people. Okay. A couple questions here. So step one is to connect with the audience in some kind of unified struggle or challenge that you and the audience face. Am I hearing that correctly? You are. And through personal storytelling, a lot of, some people try to start with a client story. Some people try to start with a quote from a book that they read. This has to be a personal story. The goal here is not to get them to like one of your clients. The goal here is to get them to like you. And, and so many people miss the opportunity to tell a personal story. We call it the heart story, to have a personal heart story. But a lot of people do it wrong. A lot of people tell the most painful moment of their life as their opening story. The most painful moment of your life is rarely the right story to start with. I know there's people out there coaching you to dig deeps into the depths of your pain and start sharing the most painful moment of your life. But you have to view this opening story as a first date. You don't share everything on a first date. I kind of walk up on a first date and be like, hi, I'm Pat. I was in prison. Like, save that for a second date or a third date. On the first date, you talk about things that you have in common. You connect. Right. And that should be the purpose of the opening of any communication. So how long is this story typically? Because I'm thinking about all the different types of mediums that we've got to communicate through, right? So, for example, in a written email, for example, or even in a video, it, could this be something as simple as just a few sentences or what's your thoughts on this? Yep. So there's no right amount of time to tell a story. Stories take as long to tell as they take to tell. And oftentimes people will have extra things in the story that hurt the story because they separate from the audience instead of combined with the audience. Mm. And so let's say, for instance, you were telling a story about going on a long car ride and your kids complaining, a very common connecting story. We were on a long car ride. It was an eight-hour car ride. And 15 minutes in, my kids were asking, are we there yet? <laughs> kind of a universal story. Everybody can relate to it. I just told it to you in less than 10 seconds or 12 seconds about. Now, I could make it a three-minute story. I could be like, you know, we went on vacation one year to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and that wasn't where we usually went on vacation. A couple of years before that, we'd gone on vacation to Disney. I mean, I could make this a 10-minute story. But every detail I add, like it was a road trip to South Carolina, separates me from the audience who was thinking about their trip to Wyoming or their trip to California. So fewer details usually help you. But I just want to impress on everybody, this does not take long. You can tell most stories to do what you need to do here in less than 15 seconds. Let me teach you how to do it in less than 15 seconds. Tell me where you are. Tell me what just happened and tell me what you thought. So the reason you start with where you are is so the audience can picture it in their mind. If you don't tell me where you are, I can't picture the room. So tell me if you're in the kitchen, tell me you're in the kitchen. The story I just told you, I told you I was in a car. So you can picture it. Now you're in a car. If I don't tell you that, then you can't picture it. So just start with that. I was in the car. Then tell me what just happened. We had just left for an eight hour road trip, right? And my kids were already asking, are we there yet? That's what just happened. Right. The reason you tell that is because it gives context to the story. But the big one, the one that is going to connect with the audience is tell me what you were thinking in that moment. And if you can share those thoughts with the audience, if like those thoughts are the same as the audience's thoughts, then you've connected immediately 
and they're probably going to make the decision to engage with you further right there. 50% of the audience makes the decision whether or not to do business with the person who's speaking during their opening heart connection piece. And people always get nervous when they make an offer. You don't need to be nervous when you make an offer. You probably already blew it. 80% of the audience makes their decision whether or not to do business with you before you make the offer. So don't be nervous when you make the offer. You probably messed this up a long time ago. So nothing to be nervous about at the offer. Huh. So the reason why we begin our communication with this story is because I would imagine there's got to be some bridge between this story and everything else. So we better be careful about the story we select or can it be frankly any story? Well, the best stories not only connect with the audience and has the audience nodding their head saying this person understands me and understands the specific problem that I have. So, you know, if you're here to with a weight loss offer, this should be a story about weight. If you're here with a financial offer, this should be a story about finances. You don't want it to be some random story because right. it's also got to introduce your topic and connect on the problem that the audience has. So it's not random. It's well thought out. It describes the problem that the audience has so that the audience knows that you actually understand them. Love it. Okay, so the first part of this framework is connect. And we talked about, basically, we're telling a story that's really meant to reach the widest range of people that are in my audience in a way that they can relate to it, right? Am I hearing that correctly? You are, absolutely. But don't stop there. There's a second part. Yeah, yeah, tell me what's next. Second of the four parts of the Story Braid Framework are to actually help the audience. This is your content. This is what you know more about than anyone else. The mistake that people make here are, number one, to just describe the problem. And if you're just describing the problem, you're not actually helping anybody. The other mistake that people make is to tease here. And I say, I have a solution to the problem. And if you pay me, I'll give you the solution to the problem. We don't want to do that either. The thing that we want to do is actually help the audience. Now, I'll just come out and say it because it's going to sound shocking. I think you should give away your best stuff. I think when you have the opportunity in front of someone, you should think, what is the thing that I could teach them that would help them the most? And then give it to them for free with no obligation whatsoever. And people come to me and they say, well, Pat, if I give this away for free, why would anybody want to do business with me? And my question is always, in the time that you had to help them, if you didn't help them, why would they want to do business with you? We spend so much time trying to convince people, trust me, I can help you. Trust me, I can help you. Trust me, I can help you. You know the fastest way to convince someone that you can help them? Give them a small win, right? Help them. Yeah. (laughs) Just help them. Give it to them. Trust me, they will come back. They will come back and ask you to do it again. They'll ask you to do it more personalized. They'll ask you to do it slower. They'll ask you to do it in another format. If you were online, they'll ask you to do it in person. If you were in person, they'll ask you for the recordings. Trust me, they will ask you again and again and again to do this. But it all starts with you actually helping them. And that's the part that I think just a lot of people miss. They're doing so much communication, but really, what percentage of it helps people? And really gives them a win. Because when you do give them a win, they spread the word for you. When you do give them a win, they come back and ask for you. When you do give them a win, they are willing to go to a format they're not comfortable with. 
I mean, I hold my two-day workshop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Trust me, nobody woke up in the morning thinking, I wish I could go to Milwaukee today. <laughs> but when you actually help people and you say, the only way to get more of this is to come to Milwaukee, suddenly people are on Expedia looking for trips to Milwaukee, looking for flights to Milwaukee. And so they really won't care about the format. They'll push through other barriers that they have when you're really helping them. If I wasn't helping people and I was just like, yeah, we're holding an event, then they'd be like, oh, I don't like the location or, oh, that's a bad week for me. Or, oh, I don't like events in person. They'll make up a hundred excuses and that's just a sure sign that you're not really helping them. So some of the things that people might think about is like, how much should I provide? You know, you don't have to give away the entire farm, I would imagine, right? Because if you understand where they're at and you probably understand what their next thing is that they need to do to get closer to their desired outcome, you could probably provide the next few steps. You don't have to provide the entire darn thing. Do you or do you? I don't know. Talk to me about that. Well, you should help them as much as you can in the time that you have. Okay. The biggest mistake that most speakers make, if we just want to get right down to it, most speakers teach too much. Most speakers would have a higher converting presentation if they would teach half as much. And you know the symptoms of this if you've ever been to a conference or a, a workshop. The symptoms of this are the speaker talks fast during the entire time they're on stage. Mm -hmm. They know they have too much for the time they've been given. Symptom number two, they have more than 40 slides. Obviously, they have too much information. And symptom number three, this is probably my favorite one, they apologize early in the presentation. I'm sorry, I have way too much information for the amount of time that we have, so just bear with me as I go through this quickly. It's like they knew that they were giving a bad presentation, so they announced it in the beginning. If you knew you had too much information, why didn't you take half of it out before you started? And here's what happens. When you overwhelm your audience with information like that, they become confused, overwhelmed, and scared. Do people who are confused, overwhelmed, and scared make decisions? No. No. They freeze. All of the research, 100 years of research. Yeah, they make a decision to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they freeze. That's what they do. All of the research for 100 years shows their amygdala takes over and they freeze. And so now contrast that with somebody who taught half as much. They leave their audience feeling empowered and confident. And people who are empowered and confident move forward. That's what they do. So I say to everyone, if you're hearing from your audience, yeah, I want to do this, but not right now. I think I have to think about this for a while. I want to wait till things are back to normal. Can I call you? Never. If you're hearing any of that, you're just teaching too much. There's symptoms all over the place that you're teaching too much. And, and what I mentioned there for a little bit was that it has to be time appropriate. And so when I get asked to speak and I get you know asked to speak all the time, once or twice a week, I get a, a request to speak at a big event. My first question out of my mouth isn't how much will you pay me? My first question out of my mouth isn't even what topic do you want me to speak on? When I get asked to speak, whether it's online in a virtual event or in person at a live event, first question out of my mouth is, how long do you want me to speak for? Because that will determine everything. That'll determine my topic. Because there's some topics I won't cover in, a, in 30 minutes. And there's other topics I wouldn't do a full day workshop. And then from that, if you say, okay, we want you to keynote, it's 45 minutes. I'm going to say, okay, I'm, I'll have five minutes in the beginning and five to 10 minutes at the end. So I really have in a 45-minute keynote, I think 30 minutes of content. So the real question isn't, how can you teach them everything you know about your topic? The real question is, how can you help them the most in 30 minutes? So now take this to whatever time frame you want. 
whether you're going to do a five minute thing, whether you're going to make a 10 minute video, whether you're going to do a post that you want to be less than 100 words. The real question is, how can I help them the most in that amount of time? And I think if you if you take it from a time point of view, you'll stop the temptation to teach everything and you'll stop the temptation to teach too much. And you'll actually be focused on how can I help them the most. The person who teaches the most will rarely get the sale. The person who helps the most in the amount of time that they had is the one who actually gets the sale. So a couple key take-homes here on this. First of all, you need to make sure that you do not under-communicate, right? Don't just tease give away something of value. Don't tease and don't just describe the problem. Yeah. Don't just like say, Hey, I've got secret knowledge and you're going to have to pay me to get it right. No prove that you have that insight, give them actionable things that they can learn right there on the spot and hopefully employ when they get home or whatever, but also make sure you pace yourself is really what I'm hearing you say so that you have enough time to be able to be of value to the audience. Right. I mean, that's really the key to all of this. If you've got too much information, then just cut half of it out, you know, and slow down and throw some examples and throw some stories in there, I would imagine, right? Because you've you've earned, hopefully, their attention by the connection phase, and now you're in this help phase. And what's the metric? Like, how do we know? Like, what are we looking for to know that it even worked? I mean, I guess that's a question, right? It's probably more of a question for a live audience than it is a non-live audience, but you know, is there some sort of separate kind of not just pat on the back that was really great, but is there some other other kind of metric or experience that comes out of the help stage so you know you've achieved your goal? Not specifically out of the help stage. I mean, the overall metric, of course, is conversion. What right. percent of the audience took the next step that you gave them? Right. The help phase, you're trying to accomplish a lot of things here. I mean, at our two-day workshop, we insert into, and, and at the workshop, we write your, a full talk for you. We insert 14 separate things into the content section wow. that help increase your conversion rate. So if you think about the second conversation, most of the place where it wanders is during the content. When you see a speaker, if you're at an event, you see a speaker, you, your mind usually doesn't wander during the opening story because you're trying to figure out if you like this person or not. It's when they get into the content that your mind really starts to think about, oh, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. Should I go now or should I wait until the break? And right. Where are we going to go out to lunch? I hope Julie doesn't come out to lunch with us again because all she did was talk yesterday. And now you're just wandering. This is where we really want to take control of the second conversation and do some things that will get them thinking about what we want them to think about. This is you know, early in the content. We want to introduce what the offer is by telling a story about somebody who took the offer. So if you have a product early in your content, you want to tell a story about somebody who bought the product after being at an event just like this or coming to this website. And we want to separate ourselves from the competition. We want to create urgency. There's, there's 14 things we try to do in the content section. And the reason we do it in the content section is because the trust level is highest. If you look at the four parts of our presentation, the trust level is highest during the content section. It'll drop again when we make the offer. It was low in the beginning because they didn't know us. It's the content section where you can get the most done as far as conversion rate. And so 80% of the people will make their decision before the offer, 50% decide during the opening connection, 30% decide during the content section. And that leads you right into your third part, which is the offer. Yeah, so is that the third point that we want to talk about right now? Yep. The third and fourth points are kind of both offers. The third section 
is what most people would call the call to action. We call it the tactical call to action because we're going to contrast it with the final of the four parts, which is the emotional call to action. Uh, There's an awful lot of people who just do a tactical call to action at the end of their presentation. And most people would just call that a traditional call to action where you tell the audience what you want them to do next. One big mistake that people make in that is to give people more than one option. What we want to do is tell the audience the one thing that they should do next. And, And we see the highest conversion rates when we tell them the one thing that they should do next. But don't end with your call to action. When you finish your presentation with your tactical call to action, You are leaving 50% of the money behind, you're leaving 50% of your customers behind, and you're just not having the impact that you could be having. There's two types of decision makers in the world, tactical decision makers and emotional decision makers. And if you end your presentation with your tactical call to action, you're simply not reaching as many people as you could. So you always want to follow your tactical call to action with an emotional call to action. And by the way, if anything that you sell, you're selling to couples, or if anything that you sell is at a price point that someone would need the permission from their spouse or their business partner, you should know that most married couples are one tactical decision maker married to one emotional decision maker. And most successful business partnerships are one tactical decision maker coupled with one emotional decision maker. You've got to get good at both of these. Otherwise, you're going to leave half the money on the table and only have half the impact that you possibly could be having. Okay, this is really fascinating to me. And plenty of people might have a boss, you know, who is one of these, you know, that may or may not be the opposite of what you are, right? Yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. Yeah. So let's talk about some techniques or recommendations on the tactical call to action versus the emotional call to action. What are your thoughts on how to approach each of these? You know, the tactical call to action in a presentation from the stage or a presentation online uh, is often where people get nervous. They have trouble getting into it. And when they get into it, we see all the signs of nervousness. We see them backing up. We see them closing their stance. uh, We see them breaking eye contact. We like a grassroots transition into the tactical offer, which is to not say I wanted to talk to you about this today, but to say a lot of people are asking me about this. So I feel the need to talk about this today. We call that a grassroots transition. That'll get you in without the nerves. Like I said, the offer should be to do one thing. That doesn't mean your company only has one thing that it sells. But on this given day, one call to action, one simple call to action. And I see that even when people say, you know, I want you to get in touch with me afterwards. You can call me, you can email me, you can message me on Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter, you can stop by our office, you can come to my house, my mom will make you soup. Like if you give them seven things to do, (laughs) nobody's going to know what to do. Just pick one and tell everybody to do it. Do you find the easier call to action isn't pull out your credit card, but like instead email me or text message me? I mean, you know, one of those, if it's only one thing and you know, maybe that this is not an, let's just say what we're selling is costly and it's complex decision, right? Maybe the decision isn't to give your credit card right now. Maybe it's instead to go pull out your phone right now and go to this URL and put in your name and email address. Would that be an example of a simple one step thing? Well, you should decide, well, an example of not doing it is, Hey, when you get to the end of a presentation, now you can buy my $10,000 thing. Or you could buy my $1,000 thing, or you could download something for free. Now, when you give them those three options, nobody knows what to do. They're just so confused. In your example, every situation is different, and a lot of it depends on how long you've been with the audience. I just came out of a three-day event. We were in front of the audience for three days. 
So at the end of three days, we can make a pretty high-priced offer and they can buy it right away. They don't need another touch point. But if I was doing a one-hour webinar or a five-minute short video and driving to a call to action, I, you know, I wouldn't go into a $20,000 offer after that. But I would go after a one-hour webinar, we go into a $2,000 offer all the time, right, to the credit card. At some point, though, based on the audience and their qualifications and what they're used to, you're going to have to stop by another touch point, which is why a lot of people, their call to action is schedule a call. One of my team members would love to talk to you about this or schedule an appointment. Got it. You know, take this free assessment. We have a free assessment. We'd love for you to take it. All of those are free touch points that lead to a sales call at a certain price point that becomes necessary because there's a certain price point that they won't put their credit card down without talking to a live human being or having some one-on-one contact. Let's talk about the inspire side of it, because this is the fascinating thing. I've seen presenters do this inspirational thing. I've seen them do one or the other. I've never seen them do both. Or maybe I'm just not aware. No, well, 90% of speakers do one or the other because most people sell the way that they make decisions. And so I can tell in about two minutes watching a speaker, whether they're a tactical decision maker or an emotional decision maker. If you're a tactical decision maker selling me an online course, that I mean, you'll just be like, it's eight lessons. Each lesson has 43 minutes of video. The videos are released Monday afternoons at 4 p.m. That's Eastern time, three o'clock Central time, two o'clock in the mountains, one o'clock Pacific time. And it's just tactics, 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 tactics. Now, for that same offer, if you're an emotional decision maker, you'll probably just stand up and be like, it'll feel good. And the audience is like, what is it? Like, it doesn't really matter. It'll feel so good. When you do this, you are going to feel things you've never felt before. It's going to take you to a place you've never been before. You're going to thank me for this. And neither one of them is getting all of the potential out of that presentation. Neither one of them is serving everybody they could be serving. And neither one of them is having the impact that they could be having simply because they didn't recognize there's another way to do this. So the key to the emotional call to action is to recognize what this will feel like after you've completed the process. And so you want to talk in a weight loss offer, you want to talk to people about what it will feel like when you've completed this process. In a financial offer, you want to recognize what will it feel like when this is taken care of? What will it feel like when you no longer have the problem that I just solved for you here today? And you can do that through a story. This is where a lot of people, we, the insider technique to this would be closing the loop. You finish your opening story. So you started with a story and now you finished that story. So you came out on the other side with a good story. Sometimes we tell a different story and sometimes we don't tell a story at all. We just say something inspiring like, it worked for me, it'll work for you, let's do this together. I mean, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to make the audience cry. Sometimes they do, but that's not the goal. The goal is to get the audience to take the next step. And so an emotional story at the end is very effective to do that. You always do the tactical offer first, followed by the emotional offer. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. But the emotional offer, it almost sounds less like an offer and more like just you're appealing to their emotions, right? Because, you know, the word offer usually means something that, I don't know, I think of an offer as as if I'm receiving something, right? Which is what the tactical call to action does. But the emotional side of it deals with really how you're going to feel after you've made such decision. Am I right or no? 
Yes, but the second half of your sentence was after you've made such decisions. So right. it's still a, the offer's on the table and the, and the tactics of the offer are on the table. You've got a price on the table, directions, you know, click on the link or or whatever it is. You it's on the table. You don't that's the tactics of it. The emotions of it are think of how you will feel after you do this. Think of saying no to your fear and yes to your future. And Scott Adams in his research calls it thinking past the sale. If you can get them thinking past the sale to what their life would be like when this problem is taken care of, but it's still all related to you doing the offer. It doesn't work without the offer. You can't have those feelings without taking advantage of the offer. So you are correct. It isn't repitching. It's not a repitch. It's an emotional close. It's a, it's a closing technique and you're, you're closing the emotional half of their brain or the emotional half of your audience, depending upon how you look at it. Pat, I have a huge smile on my face right now. I'm feeling really good about what you just have shared with you know, with me and I think my audience is absolutely going to love it. And some of them are going to want to take an action. So where do you want to send them for that action and how might they feel once they take that action, Pat? Uh, let me give you seven or eight options here. <laughs> if you want to learn more about this, we help people with this every single day. And you can learn more at advanceyourreach.com, advanceyourreach.com. We help people, uh, you know, expand their reach, advance their reach. And you can learn more at advanceyourreach.com. And I just think if you have a message that needs to get out to the world, you're going to want to share that story and you're going to want to get good at that. And more importantly, we want to help you not just get good at communication. We want to help you get good at communication that converts so that you can have a greater and greater impact, not just this generation, but the next. Pat Quinn, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. On behalf of all of my listeners, you were amazing. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 487. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.